This is the Living Clean Podcast. This podcast is not meant to replace meetings, sponsorship, step work, or service. This podcast is meant to be another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. We're back again for another episode number 48. Closely working up on that uh, one-year mark. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's almost been a year now. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure, though. Today, we're going to continue working on the IPs. Uh, our topic today is going to be IP number 12, the Triangle of Self-Obsession. And to help me uh, break down that IP, i got a very special guest. I'd like to introduce yourself now. Hey, Mason. Thanks. Uh, my name's Rich. Uh, I uh, live in York, York, South Carolina. Uh, I got clean in Pennsylvania in 1984. Uh, actually, coming up on that date, uh, this year will be 40 years uh, in the springtime. Yeah, I got clean when I was 17 years old and uh, been been just keep coming back. I mean, that's that's what I keep hearing, and I, I keep doing that. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I'm, I relocated to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, in '97. Uh, so I've been in the South uh, for quite a few years now. I live in the Charlotte suburbs. Uh, my home group is uh, is called Surrender to Win, and we meet on Monday nights at 7:30 in Fort Mill, South Carolina, and that's a hybrid group, a hybrid meeting. So we uh, we broadcast that on, on Zoom as well, but it's audio only, so we, we preserve uh, members' anonymity who might not want to be uh, on the internet for whatever reason. Um, so, and we are a uh, spiritual principle a day book study. So every week we open up with the speaker for 20 minutes and then uh, get diving into the topic. It's an interesting book. Wow. That's... Uh... Well, first of all, thank you for taking the time to come on here. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, second of all, I just want to touch on that that hybrid format. You're not the first guest that we've had on here that's that's uh, had a home group that had the hybrid capabilities. And if you've not checked that out, it's some it's worth looking into, man. Those things are it's incredible to 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 be able to not only be at your home group, uh, which is, you know, the most intimate place in the world for me, but to also share that and, and have the capabilities of sharing that with people all over the world. It's just, it, it's, it's amazing. So I'm glad you guys are doing that. And hopefully my group will get there one day. Yeah. Well, the pandemic opened up a lot of opportunities for us to stay connected and we decided to keep it going, you know, for, Home group members who may have an, another commitment uh, or can't make it in person uh, or for whatever reason, you know, uh, friends visiting from out of town and it, it works. It works out really well for us. We continue the tradition. <laughs> well, that, that brings me to a question. And, and for you being here working on 40 years, uh, when the pandemic happened and all that came out of that, which just in one addict's opinion, I think now that we're, I guess, somewhat on the other side of it, 
I think it really helped our fellowship in in a lot of ways. But was that was that hard uh, for you to to kind of see that transition, or was it even hard for you to to kind of give up in person meetings for a while? If you did, I don't know if you had to. Uh, I know a lot of people did. Yeah, yeah, I really struggled with it at first. Um, I I'm a meeting maker. I, I really enjoy the energy and, and the, the the group conscience that arises from our from our meetings. Um, just something that I've never gotten tired of that, that energy that happens in our meetings, you know, there's a line in our basic text. I think it's in just for today that talks about, you know, a spirit or energy in meetings. This is often a newcomer's first experience with a higher power. And, you know, it's still mine, you know, that, that, the, and, and when I, when we, when we went on zoom, well, let me, let me back up a second because I did resist it at first. I, I did not want to give that up. And uh, had some long, long conversations with sponsees and friends and my sponsor and, you know, had to surrender and, and accept the severity of the situation uh, that, that, you know, there were a lot of people dying out there um, needlessly sometimes uh, when they could have been, been more isolated, you know. And so I was on that wire, you know, I was on both sides of that fence and agonized for a little while and. And then, you know, I was talking to my sponsor one day and, you know, came to the realization that, you know, just two, maybe one or two degrees of separation from someone maybe contracting uh, a deadly illness uh, changed my perception. So I uh, I I dove into Zoom uh, with both feet at that point, you know, and uh, I I was fortunate because my sponsorship family meets uh, remotely on Zoom. Uh, every week. And so I had that experience already and working steps with my sponsor remotely and, and doing all that. Uh, it wasn't a huge leap. Right. You know, I did miss the, I did miss the contact with my, my, my members, my home group members, but, but it did pass and uh, very, very grateful. And you're right. It did, it did open up a lot of doors and I really see it in service, uh, in service work um, where, we could have more meetings uh, remotely uh, and save save expenses and, and open that up to people who maybe can't travel or whatever. Uh, so it's it's been a remarkable uh, thing to witness. Yeah, uh, it was very similar for us here. Like I, I just remember when we met to to take a group conscience on whether we were going to close our meeting or not. Just how heartbreaking that was. It was such a hard decision. Like. You never thought yeah. you were going to be faced with a decision like that to have to like, and you know, after we get to that point of surrender, you know, I'm a, I'm an all in or all out type of guy. So once I finally <laughs> right. accepted it, uh, you know, we kind of went all in and, and got on the zoom and, and created a platform. And before long we were, we were missing each other, but we were glad that we did it because we had, a. You know, it gave it gave people around the world an opportunity to get to to see uh, or or to experience, you know, what our home group is about because we're so uh, rural, I guess you would say. We're out in the middle of nowhere. So to be able to share some of that stuff, it's a really special group to me, and I'm sure you feel the same way about your home group. So to be able to share that with the world was pretty cool. And like you said, the, I, I think our service structure is uh, is benefiting uh, tremendously from, from absolutely zoom and all that comes with that. And it's, it's a really good platform once you get 
to understand it. It's uh, it's becoming like it's reminds me a lot of the Excel program, which is really good to a lot of people. But <laughs> if you don't know how to yeah. use it, like myself, it's like uh, it, it's it's something else. But anyways, that's a that's a rabbit hole for another day. Uh, <laughs> it really is. It really is. <laughs> I just I just want to add one more thing. I will never forget that first meeting back Ooh, in person, man. Man, what a powerful experience that was. I mean, the tears and the hugs and the, I mean, we were, some, some members were more cautious than others, you know, yeah. some came where we're still wearing a mask or, 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 or just, you know, please don't hug. I'm not ready yet or whatever, you know, had maybe had a sick parent at home or for whatever reason, personal reason. And, but I'll never forget that, that experience. That was a highlight as well. Coming back. Yeah, I remember the first convention that we had in this area after that, man. The the energy was unbelievable. And it wasn't just in, in a, you know, like when some of the best uh, concerts and football games and different things that I went to were amazing. The energy, like once we realized yeah. what we had lost, <laughs> you know, you don't. Right. We, it's just another example of the things we take for granted every day and don't know how special they are until they're gone. It sure is. Yeah. So, uh, let's get to know you a little bit, man. Like how, how you, uh, how did you get, how did you ultimately find narcotics anonymous? Right, right. Well, I, uh, I, like, like, like I said earlier, I was 17 years old and I had reached out, uh, to my family maybe nine months before my first Narcotics Anonymous meeting, but I reached out for help and went down the road of psychiatry and, and things of that nature. I, I was suffering from uh, drug-induced uh, psychosis uh, that, that lasted for, for quite a while. Uh, and I thought, you know, in my own ju juvenile mind, thought that might be the answer. It wasn't my answer. I stayed out there. Another, another nine months was... Uh, really hitting a hard bottom and suicidal and uh, reached out again. Uh, the, the idea of suicide really scared the life out of me. Uh, it was one of those moments of it's not supposed to be like this, you know, uh, really an eye opening uh, uh, part of my bottom. And I took that risk and I reached out again uh, to my parents. And now in the meantime, they knew I was still out there doing what I did. And they had done some research, right? And part of that research was getting prepared for the day when he may reach out again. And so they had some, some contact information for a local detox. And I was uh, still underage, and I went to visit this detox in uh, cold. It was a cold, cold day in February. It was actually Feb it was February uh, 7th, 1984. And... Um, still a very special day. I celebrate. It's not, it doesn't qualify. I can't celebrate it in NA, right? Cause I, I, I messed up twice, but, but it's still a very, very special day to me, right. um, that I, that I hold dear to my heart. And, um, so I went into this detox, uh, cold Turkey detox and they, they walked me around the facility and, and, uh, and they, they asked me if I wanted to stay and I looked around and I said, no, maybe, maybe, you know, it was a bunch of old, old drunks that they rolled in off the street uh, homeless men in pajamas. And I, I just didn't fit, you know, uh, it wasn't for me. And I, so I told him, well, maybe, maybe I'll be back tomorrow. And, and this, this counselor, and he was one, he was one of us, you know, and 
but he had this little twinkle in his eyes. You know, he had something special about him, you know, working with other addicts, you know, and, and he said, you won't be back tomorrow. You'll, you'll probably die. And, you know, I was like 17 years old, sitting in a skinny kid, sitting in this big fluffy chair. And nobody had ever talked to me like that before. Nobody ever said that to me in, in, in those terms. And I looked over at him and his little twinkly eyes. And I looked over at my mom and dad and they were devastated tears rolling down their face. And, uh, and I just saw the contrast there and I, yes, came out. And so I, I went through this detox, uh, the cold turkey detox, they wouldn't medicate me. They said I didn't qualify for, um, you know, a medical detox because I wasn't an opiate addict. And back then there were very few remedies for, for that kind of thing anyway. But um, I went through this cold turkey detox and my first meeting ever was, was, uh, was Alcoholics Anonymous and it was down the, a block away from the facility. And we got there late one night, and I didn't know what was going on because they broke up into smaller tables. Hmm. And we got there late, and I didn't know what was going on, and I, I was kind of whatever. didn't mean much to me. And, but the second meeting I went to in the facility was Narcotics Anonymous. And they were a much younger crowd, you know, uh, some hippies in there, the long hair, the, you know the look, you know, you know how we look, uh, you know. And, uh, you know basically the hugs, the welcoming atmosphere. And I, I honestly don't remember much from that first meeting, uh, you know, content wise, but I do remember a couple of things. And one was that the prayer at the end and the prayer was, was the Lord's prayer. We don't say it today in, 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 in narcotics anonymous. It's, we've kind of moved from that to a more, a more secular, like serenity prayer, yeah. uh, where, you know, less religious, uh, tone to it. But, but that, that prayer, we were all standing in a circle in a, in a hug, like we do, uh, we still do. And, uh, all of us praying together touched me. And I, that voice, something went through me, you know, and at the, at the end of the meeting, there was also an announcement that there were finally seven meetings a week, seven Narcotics Anonymous meetings a week in the area. Wow. And that it was the first, that was the first time that that had ever, uh, had been achieved. And that the, the, the chairperson said, if, you know, if you want to do a 90 meetings, 90 meetings in 90 days of Narcotics Anonymous, you could finally do that because before that people had to go to both fellowships. Yeah. So I was one of the first members in our area to do a 90 and 90 in Narcotics Anonymous. And I'm still still pretty proud of that that fact. Oh, they didn't tell me it was spread out through three counties. But <laughs> I still I still managed to do it. You know, that wasn't on the schedule that part, but I learned. I got around. You know. Yeah. So that's that's funny you say that. That's 1984 in that area where you find they finally had the ability to do a 90-90 in Narcotics Anonymous. I didn't get clean right. until 2018. And at that time in my area, we still only had four meetings a week <laughs> in a meetings a week. Yeah. You know, so I'm proud to say now that with the motivation being, how can we tell people we want them to do a 90 and 90 and ask them to go to the other fellowship? Not that we're knocking the other fellowship. We just wanted them to have the right. ability to do it in NA. So 
proud to say now we meet seven times a week here in town but that's great you know when i was doing my 90 and 90 i had to have uh, some members come over with their basic text they would come over to my house and 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 we would all have a meeting over there so that was really special my 90 and 90 was hard work buddy but i'm proud man i'm proud that yes. i did it you know it's probably right. why i'm still here you know that set the foundation uh yeah exactly well, my first maybe month, I'd say my first 30 days, I did go to both fellowships. I, I, was, I went through a long-term uh, facility, uh, psychiatric facility. Um, for, I, went through, I went there for, I was there for three and a half months. And uh, when I was in there, they, there was a young person's AA group that I connected with. And uh, so when I got out of treatment in, in May, um, they, they still, I still went to their meetings, but I went to a Narcotics Anonymous camp out. It was 4th of July weekend. Uh, I was, I had about 30 days clean and, um, that camp out was on, he became my sponsor, uh, uh, maybe a couple months later, uh, on his farm, uh, in the middle of Pennsylvania, uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. And that's when I got hooked on Narcotics Anonymous. I mean, it was just a very casual, laid-back thing, but, you know, I don't even think it was an official activity, on, like, sponsored by a subcommittee or whatever. It was just a bunch of people getting together and camping out on Paul's farm, and, uh, but we stayed. We, we, it was, we stayed longer than the weekend. We stayed all week, and we passed the hat to, to, to buy hot dog buns or whatever food, and nobody wanted to leave, you know, yeah. but we, we had merit, the marathon meetings and all kinds of stuff. And man, I was hooked. I was hooked right away. And that's when I made my, my real commitment, yeah. you know, to NA. Is that the first time that you experienced that we are, are the first time that you noticed that we did more than just show up at these rooms right. once a week? I yeah. I mean, the, yeah, part of it was, yeah. And, but we also on the, the Friday night narcotics anonymous meeting I went to, uh, they, they went bowling every, every Friday. So, and, and I was just this skinny, scrawny kid could barely, could barely throw a bowling ball, you know, never mind, you know, uh, you know, go, go and, and do that. But yeah, I, I did have some experience with some people doing that kind of stuff and a couple dances and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to, uh, my first convention, I had 26 days clean and it was just, like I was still very much on the fence whether this was going to be. Yeah, right. But I went the Saturday night speaker. Like I could relate so much to him. He showed up on the stage and overalls and barefooted, and he was just. They called him the hillbilly Buddha. No, it, <laughs> nice. He was just. Uh, he was incredible, and he's a dear friend today. Like he's well, actually, we're sponsorship brothers, but he's uh he's speaking again this year at our convention which what i'm packing up to go to as soon as this is over i'm going to start packing my bag and heading out yes so um it's it's uh yeah but that was the time that really it started i started to see what the fellowship was really about just all the love and like you said nobody wants to ever leave it's it's crazy yeah you know my first three years were um my grants well let me put it this way my grant sponsor was very involved in service. And at that time he was very, uh, he was involved in the region, but he was a part of, uh, the East coast convention, uh, movement that was happening at that time. And he, they went, 
our, most of my area went to the 50s Coast Convention in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and they all came back fired up to want to bring that convention to our area. So the next two years were spent putting a bid together, uh, all the fundraisers, all, 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 all those events that touched me, that touched me to this day, building that foundation of fellowship, you know, and going out and doing all those things. And he took me all over up and down the East Coast and to the Midwest. We're selling T-shirts and mugs and all kinds of stuff. And in this old beat-up van that he had was probably not roadworthy, but we made it somehow, you know. And uh, but but that, doing those things were vital to my early recovery. Yeah, like the process. Like like I we take for granted sometimes the process is the best part. Like getting all that stuff together, all the the relationships that are developed, and just you know in service, working together, working towards a goal, and you know, when you of uh, several people get together and after all that work, you realize what you've accomplished. It just feels so damn good. Like, you know, a feeling that dope couldn't match, you know, it's sure, sure is. And, and we did get that bid anyway, we did, we did receive that bid and, and held the seventh East coast convention in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania in 1986. And it was, it was powerful. I think over, over 2000 members uh, showed up to that one. Wow. And, uh, and that string of time there, I went to my first world convention in Chicago in 84. I had uh, 90 days clean. Uh, the, the world convention was in DC in 85. Uh, the next year, uh, went to the East coast convention in Townsend, Maryland, uh, like, and, and the, the first Marlickna and, and being a newcomer, I mean, this is a very exciting time of fellowship development on the East coast. Yeah. Um, all, all these new areas and new, new events and, and, and new regions were for forming all the time, every, every week it seemed, and uh, was able to participate in some of that stuff. And this is kind of, uh, I guess that was the fellowship experience and what came after the basic text, right? The growth and the boom that. Right. Yeah. Right. I bet that was an yeah, interesting absolutely. time. Yeah, because when would when was the text published? Eighty three, yeah. uh, yeah. eighty four. Yeah, well, uh, which version? <laughs> which version? Yeah. I mean, when I when I when I came in, the, my first uh, service uh, business meeting at a in a home group was a letter that came out uh, whether we wanted to keep the uh, first edition or the second edition as the approved basic text, the Narcotics Anonymous, that was sent out to all the home groups. Uh, right after the conference, and uh, that summer it was it was difficult to get a book, but um, finally we settled on the third edition, which is the first uh, essentially. Um, but yeah, that stretch of time in '84 uh, when I got when I came in was a bit a bit, bit controversial with the basic text. There was a lot of changes <laughs> yeah. happened really fast, you know, and they 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 put the second edition out with little stickers that you could put in there to. To change stuff, it was really an interesting time uh, uh, for the conference and, and learning how to deal with that kind of stuff too. But uh, yeah, yeah, I came in right on right when all that was uh, right right in the, the heat of the moment as a newcomer. You know, I have I have a couple of those basic texts back over in that drawer back there uh, with the pasties, the little yeah, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, I did. But my first, my yeah, go ahead. My first edition that I had was the second edition, 
And that was the first one I got. I, 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 I was at the World Convention in Chicago that summer, and um, it, a lot of people signed it and put their phone numbers in it because I was at the least amount of clean time at my table. So, and my sp grand sponsor had the most, so we got up and exchanged gifts, right? A lot of, a lot of banquets uh, uh, still do that kind of thing, yeah. you know? So I got my first basic text at the World Convention, and a lot of people signed it and passed it around. It was floating around the room. It was all over that room, you know, the banquet room. People signed it from all over the world. And so I, I had that book for a while and treasured it. I, I, I really I took it to meetings with me every, everywhere I went, every meeting I went to, and uh, read from it, the readings. And um, one day, you know, when we changed our readings, we changed the readings in the third revised, the little white book. Um, but I still carried my second edition with me. And of course, some some asshole told me one day, well, that's that's unapproved literature, oh, you know. And and, uh, and I, I was very naive, and I, I went home and I threw it away. I threw it away and got a new book. Oh. Uh, so it was just a heartbreaking. Thinking back on it, it was a heartbreaking thing I did. You know? But um, yeah, very very naive at that time. Well, let's let's talk about the literature for a little bit. What's your relationship been like with the literature? Yeah, it's it's been very uh, very exciting because in '84 we had the the basic text, and when it came when it comes to textbooks, that's the only text we had. Yeah. And of course, as I just described, all the controversy surrounding that and getting one was sometimes difficult uh, where I lived. Um, but I always gravitated toward the literature table, right? I was always hovering around that literature table, seeing what flyers were over there and seeing what kind of new pamphlets were, were coming out, uh, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And uh, so regarding books, I was very excited when the uh, It Works How Why was being written and was able to participate in, in some of that literature writing um, with, with draft material, sending that in, was also involved in the Just for Today uh, when that was being developed and, and sending in draft material. Um, and the, the tradition continued, you know, over the years, I've been able to participate in, uh, on that level uh, with Living Clean as well and with the, uh, the, the new uh, tradition book. Now, the new tradition book, I didn't participate in as much, but all the others was able to uh, send draft material uh, in that collaborative process. And so I've always felt like, you know, maybe not word for word, but that, you know, I, I somehow was a small part of, you know, that, that, that collaborative process of literature written by addicts for addicts, you know, because our literature has always touched me very deeply and um, have embraced it every step of the way. Um, voted on many of them in, in different car reports, you know, that over the years, and always on the lookout for new stuff. And I've all, I always have a kind of, well, not maybe not always, but, you know, I, I used to have that, that old, you know, the basic text is the only real, that's the only real source of true recovery kind of mindset. But you know, I'm, I'm now at a, in, a, in a mindset or a perception of I really believe we need to supersede or outgrow our literature on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, like if you look at the, 
the quality and style of living clean compared to the basic text, we've obviously grown as a fellowship. In, in, 80, in the, the early 80s, the most of the members who wrote that book were, had maybe five, six, seven, eight years clean time mm -hmm. at the most, and most less than that. Living clean, we far, we far exceeded that in not only an in input, but in our, the maturity of our fellowship to, to be able to talk about the kind of topics that are in there. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of a, an aside there. Uh, what I, I really see us doing is constantly challenging ourselves, outgrowing ourselves, you know, like the spiritual principle of day. I mean, we, we, took, we, we did what we did with uh, just for today all those years. And now we've we've taken it to another another uh, level, you know, yeah. and and we we should again, uh, maybe ten years from now or whatever it may be. I agree. I I agree completely. And you know, I'm just you know, I just want to tell you, thank you for all that you've participated in, and for everybody that participated in these books, man. They're they're incredible, and uh, you know, like you said, it just makes sense as our experience grows as a fellowship. And, and, you know, I think about it from another aspect, too, is we talk about the disease progressing, and it progresses, too. So uh, for right. us to stand still, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us because our enemy is constantly progressing and changing and growing and, <laughs> you know, affecting more people. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And, 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 you know, uh, like the pamphlets, uh, back, back then, I mean, we didn't have electronic media. There was no internet. There were no cell phones, no computers really to speak of, you know, we, all we had was paper, you know, and, and hard copy, hard copies of things, you know, the car, the cat, uh, well, there was no cat really to speak of. Yeah. It was a bit different structure back then, but you know, now, now we, we we're finding new, new ways to reach, uh, younger members, you know, electronic means, you know, so we're definitely having to evolve there as well. You know, uh, how do we, and, and think about other countries, think about Africa where there may be, you know, uh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not an expert, but maybe 50 languages and, and illiterate countries too, that, yeah. that most of the populace doesn't even know how to read or write, you know, how do we carry the message? you know, in there, in those, in those places, you know, uh, it may not be paper. It may be, you know, something else, you know, that we need to be open-minded about. I heard an incredible story the other day and it just goes to show you how fortunate, you know, some of us are, uh, actually our, our main speaker that's coming Saturday, the Saturday night speaker was, I was on the phone on, I was listening on speaker. They were having a conversation uh, about our, our main speaker has got like sponsees in other countries. And he was talking about, uh, one particular meeting has one basic text and 11 home group members. And they each take turns sharing that basic text that's written in their language. Mm. And, uh, to think about how fortunate we are just to, and I'm, and like I said, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, but I can walk up to the drawer any day and pick up any form of our literature and, and buy it and, and take it home with me right then. But just to think, you know, it, uh, we take it for granted sometimes that it, it's not like that everywhere, you know, and in some places, you know, they're going to start a meeting in it and it may be, it may be years before they get 
uh, something in their language, uh, you know, a basic text That's or right. anything. So we, we, we were, we're really blessed in that aspect. We, we are. And, you know, it, it's something that unifies us. Uh, these are things we, we could literally get on the same page about subjects and, and, and concepts and, and different principles. Uh, but at the end of the day, I really is, and I believe this as well, uh, you know, we are the, we are the message as individuals and, and members. We, we are examples of that literature at work, you know? Yeah. So it, it, you know, I, I, I admire the, the members who, who are doing this, going beyond, above and beyond and, and that level of sharing, you know, at the end of the day, those, those members are, are still a care, a life, a life raft, uh, one addict helping another, you know? uh absolutely regardless absolutely you know the the literature has its has its place but if it was only literature and there were no other members it would really right. it would be difficult <laughs> it would, that's right you know. i've often said you can't buy the video you know you just can't you yeah. know it's it's you have to go to participate you know there used to be this all of old us. guy that would tell me all the time right that story kind of made it came, brought this to mind he would say uh you know, he's like, be careful what you say and how you act, because you may be the only basic text that somebody ever sees, you know? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I didn't know what he was talking about yeah, at the time, I, but I do now. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I hear sometimes at H&I and H&I committees or PR committees, and they, they won't go... They won't go into a facility or won't, do, won't fulfill a commitment because they don't have literature. And my thought is, well, you, you're, you're the message, you know, yeah. still, still do your best, you know, go in as members and, and, uh, carry that message, you know, uh, heart to heart one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about service for a minute, man. Like how, how is, uh, how service played a part in your recovery and how, how, how instrumental has it been? Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, it's it's been uh, an integral uh, part of my recovery. Uh, probably from that grant sponsor, his name was Rich as well. Uh, he was the classic, as we would call, service junkie. Right? He had the old beat. He had the old beat up uh, briefcase busting at the seams full of stuff that he'd carry with him everywhere that had bumper stickers on it, you know, and all this kind of thing. And we lived in the same hometown. So when I was a newcomer, you know, they'd, they'd be up late playing cards and, and doing things. And I'd just hang out and he had a little, he had a little study where he had all of his literature and it was all like service oriented stuff, you know, and they'd be in there playing cards and different things. And I'd be in there sneaking a peek at what his, his archives, you know, all the stuff he had in there, you know, and, but I learned from him, you know, I learned from him so much. And, and he was that, that member who did all the traveling and, and, and took me to all those events and, uh, the, our, our East coast convention that we held. And, um, I eventually became, I was young. I was only 17, not really, you know, cognizant really mentally wasn't real capable of doing a whole, whole lot except moral support a lot of the times oh. and uh tag along with uh, some old timers you know but eventually i became a gsr 
and I had 90 days clean. It was a new group not far from where I lived. I had about 90 days clean. And this was my first experience with uh, area service as a participant. And um, I went to a lot of regional meetings uh, and uh, things like that as a, an observer. But this was my first experience as a participant. And, and uh, you know, it was, uh, it was eye-opening. I mean, you know, there were, there was, there were shouting matches. There were, uh, <laughs> you know, as some tempers flared, you know. Uh, we had one, the, the literature chair, he had a lot of years clean. In, in uh, the mid-'80s, he had 12 years clean. So you do the math, he got clean in the early-'70s on the East Coast when there wasn't NA really anywhere. And as I said, not, not to seven meetings a week until 84. So it was a bit sporadic, you know, but he used to get so angry because the literature kept changing, you know, why are we revising the book and why are we doing this? And the key tags were pink and who's going to, the, the, the white key tag used to be pink and he used to get so angry about that. Who's going to pick up a white welcome key tag and, uh, or a, a pink one and, um, things like that. But, uh, I toughed it out, you know, I, I, and I, I really, that, that position, I, I don't know how effective, if I was an effective GSR, but it plugged me in. It plugged me into Narcotics Anonymous as a whole because I, we, had, we had a good uh, ASR, well, they called them ASRs back then, yeah. who really brought back the information and were, they were that conduit between region and world. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we did all the car reports and workshops and, and I was able to participate in all those things. And there was a lot going on back then with revising literature and different things. So I was able to experience that. And I've always gravitated toward that role, being a, a GSR, being an RCM and was the regional delegate for the Carolina region, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, and doing, doing those, uh, those conduit type roles, you know? Yeah. I, I look at it like a restaurant. You got you got the front of the house, uh, which is uh, the meeting, sponsorship, the tip of the spear, you know, carrying the message, H&I, PR. Then you got the back of the house type services, right? Stuff that people don't really necessarily see, like administrative type stuff. And for some reason, I've gravitated more toward some of those administrative type things uh, yeah. that really... Have that has more to do with the growth and continuation of Narcotics Anonymous as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've just enjoyed those roles uh, very, very much over the years. Uh, I've also been on many subcommittees. Uh, currently, I'm our area PR chair uh, for the borderline area in uh, North Carolina. It's called the borderline area. We're on, right on the state line between North and South Carolina, Charlotte, the Charlotte Southern, like Charlotte suburbs. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also involved in the Carolina region still. We're planning a, a service symposium uh, in the fall, uh, in August here, uh, coming up. So uh, still still very active in, in uh, home group service and area service. So, Yeah, I've, I've uh, well, before I uh, comment on that, I want, I want to read you something. This, is, this statement blows my mind, period, that I'm fixing to say. N.A. actually posted on their Instagram. Probably nothing you uh, saw coming back in 1984. <laughs> that in <laughs> today, today uh, they posted um, this little quote. Uh, it says, "We should remember that 
the fulfillment of many service responsibilities requires nothing more than the willingness to serve. And, um, you know, I, that makes me think about when you were talking about, I didn't know how good I did as the GSR the first time you were a GSR. And I felt the same way. I remember that my, like my group elected me the GSR. I'm, I'm, I was right at a year clean, uh, cause nobody else was willing to do it. And when I walked <laughs> in and you know, it was, uh, they were talking about the car and the cat and all this. And I was like, what in the world are <laughs> I was like, I, they picked right. the wrong guy. I don't know anything about this. Uh, but fortunately, uh, a, a guy pulled me to the side who could tell I didn't know what the hell was going on. And he really, he really helped me. And you know, that because of him, like I've stayed involved in that type of service ever since then, you know, it's, it, it's always in, been intriguing to me. And like you said, kind of that, um, the kitchen type of service uh, that's going on in the back what's going on in the back um yeah i, I like that yeah it gets gets chaotic back there <laughs> if you've seen hell's kitchen it's it's no picnic yeah, you know that's exactly right but uh <laughs> right sometimes but but uh yeah serve service is such a pivotal uh has been and uh i hope for it to be integral part of my recovery uh i just i can't see i, I can't see uh, not doing it. I, I, I just, it's been such a part of my life, you know, for, for the last 39 years that I, I just, uh, there's no retiring, there's no finish lines, you know, there's no diplomas. We, we continue, you know, we continue to strive and, uh, on a deal, on a just for today basis, you know? Yeah. So you were talking about you're planning a service symposium. Yes. The Carolina region. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, in conjunction with the North Carolina region. So it's going to be, now I know they were they were going to uh, they we had they had some representatives or not representatives but a few members at our last meeting subcommittee meeting to take back to their region about about it being a collaborative uh, event for two regions putting that on together yeah because uh, we we were one region at one time for many many years will you break that down somewhat in layman's terms for people that are newer sure yeah what what that means and what that entails. Absolutely. So we uh, we're very familiar with conventions, right? Uh, for the most most members uh, are familiar with that that atmosphere of recovery of a convention. Well, a service symposium, which I'll just say for a minute, the first one I went to was in Florida, Florida Service Symposium, in I believe it was 2019. That changed my uh, my service life forever. Uh, basically, it is a convention. I'm using air quotes here for those who can't see. Yeah. Uh, Mason can, but uh, you know, a a convention that is service oriented. So all the workshops are service related workshops, rather than recovery, personal recovery oriented, oriented workshops. So you may have, for instance, throughout the day. Uh, like most conventions have like a three track format where you, you have three, three workshops occurring at the same time, yeah. uh, during a day on a Saturday at a symposium would, would consist of three, three, uh, three workshops at a time of various service topics that may be finances and narcotics anonymous or public relations or H and I website development, uh, 
being a GSR, being an R, being a being a delegate, being an RCM. Uh, but I'm just using those as for instances. Right. They're they're very creative. They're very creative nowadays. Some good ones are out there. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's incredible, man. I wish, you know, hopefully one day uh, we'll get to that in in this area and in our region because uh, we were we were talking as some of the home group members and I were talking about how many of us have had to dive off into service positions. And then after we were elected, then learn about how to actually, uh, <laughs> be involved in that. So we spend, uh, for example, like when some of us got involved in PR, it took us two or three months to learn exactly how to do it and what PR is about and the do's and the don'ts and all that before we, you know, there, there's three months of our one year commitment that we spent on learning actually how to do it, you know? So, uh, right. So having workshops and, and our, you know, our recovery, but our, uh, service-based convention, uh, like that would be phenomenal. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get there one day. Maybe, maybe you can yeah. send me the information on that when you do it. And I'd love to come check it out. Sure. will. I sure will. And, and, you know, there is one coming up in Florida. They, theirs is held every other year. It's coming up in, uh, I believe it's in February. Uh, I don't know the exact dates, but uh, you can search uh, Florida Service Symposium uh, anywhere, and it will come up if you're in that general neck of the woods. But this is a very common thing, a more, a more common thing uh, these days. Uh, if you look at it historically, the first one, <clears throat> the first one that really occurred was the Mid-Atlantic Regional... <laughs> Mid-Atlantic Regional, uh, they call it a conference, which was half convention, yeah, half conference. Yeah. And that was really the first one of its kind uh, anywhere that I could think of. The first one was in 85. And, uh, but that was a hybrid. It was half and half. Now, Florida is the first one I know of that was all service training, as, as, as we're talking about. But there are others pro cropping up now. There's... Uh, there's one in the, the mid, the mid uh, there's zonal, there's zonal posted by zonal forums. Uh, one is the nor northern, uh, northeast. Uh, uh, I, think the, I think two regions put that one on in the northeast service symposium. If I could be wrong, somebody will correct me out there, I'm sure. And uh, there's another in the Midwest, and I believe uh, Tennessee region is part of those zonal that zonal structure so you may want to look into those too uh, uh as well in addition but I, i'm very very happy to send you ours for sure carolina is not that far from you guys yeah that would uh tennessee that would be the volunteer region which you would think because we're in tennessee i'm in the southern part of tennessee right on the alabama line that we would be in that region but we're actually in the alabama northwest florida region uh ah okay so we're in the so we're in the same zone we're in the same zone then the southeastern zonal forum right right on yeah we're uh yeah we're hello neighbor yeah we're in the north alabama area and right yeah okay so that's our uh that's our convention that we're getting ready to put on the out of the darkness into the lot uh convention so and that's an area you said it was an area uh function right area 26 maybe. 26 uh, wow yeah it's a lot of years man yeah yeah uh th this this area was 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 
well, uh, a member that played a huge part in this was Bill Brooks. If you're familiar with Bill Brooks, uh, he's got a story in the basic text. Uh, but yeah, he he played uh, he played a huge part in the development of meetings in Alabama. He started the first meeting in Alabama, uh, Open Minds and Miracles, uh, over 40 years ago. So, yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Hats off to our old timers. Where would we be? No doubt. No doubt. And yeah, Bill was actually uh, sponsored for a time by, by Jimmy K and Bill was actually my current sponsors sponsor up until his death. So yeah, he, he played a big part in that, but anyway, yeah. One, one of, one of my, uh, one of my uh, early NA heroes was Greg Pierce. Uh, he, now he was, living in Marietta, Georgia at the time and, and had moved up into Tennessee. Uh, I think it was, uh, Knoxville area, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent on that. Yeah. But, uh, interestingly enough, wrote, uh, triangle of self-possession. What we're going to so. talk about today. So, so Greg <laughs> and Bo and Bill, who I was talking about, they, they all kind of collaborated on some things cause they were all in this, you know, the areas were, were spread out but they were really small back then because they wouldn't as you know there wasn't as many meetings in between so uh the world was a lot smaller the na world absolutely yeah so they they were sure all was. familiar with each other and you know there's some stories about those guys meeting at uh at a meeting in chattanooga several times and discussing fellowship development and different things so yeah so yeah we get to talk about greg a little bit today some of his work yes and if you're that's right if you're ready we can go ahead and shift into that i'm i'm wide open all right so the topic today here if you fast forward it through the beginning uh is the triangle of self-obsession which is an ip that um if if i remember correctly or if i've been told correctly that greg p actually wrote um, let me see what it says on here. It actually says that this was published in 1989. Does that sound correct? 83. 83, 1983. Okay. I got you. So this come out in 1983. Um, so yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll kind of turn it over to you for a minute and we'll, we'll talk back and forth about it. Sure, sure. So uh, I think uh, just looking at, at this pamphlet, you know, it's probably, I would say, the shortest pamphlet that we have. Yeah. It's two columns on a half sheet, you know. But I really feel so drawn to it, its quality and its clarity that it's probably one of the most popular pamphlets that we have. Yeah. Uh, most members relate to it on such a, such a level that um, it's, it's not been revised. It's, it's re it probably just came right, right from the pen, right to the typewriter, right, right to the conference uh, back then. Uh, you know, some members would, would submit, uh, would submit material and it would go to the lit literature uh, committees and, and get published uh, with very few, few revision, you know. 
uh, Greg also wrote the fourth step, the first fourth step guide that we that you guys talked about, you and Ron talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's loosely based on this as well. Now, which is based on which, I don't know. But uh, that, that original fourth step guide was essentially this pamphlet was the topics were resentment, anger, and fear. And they added sex and they added assets. So it was five, five sections that were laid out that way. And, uh, and then there were some, you know, random questions as well. Like, what would you like to be when you grow up? Or when is your clean date? Uh, just the things like that review of the first three steps. That was part of it as well. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Greg, Greg was part of both of those, uh, the, both of these, uh, these pamphlets. Now the port step guide, as you know, as you, you know, and Ron shared with us about that was, it was revised. Uh, at a time in our fellowship when there was a lot of, uh, you know, controversy in the world and society and maybe in our fellowship about, about homosexuality and is it a moral issue? Is it, is it, does it belong in a moral inventory and, and, and that, but that section was also very rough around the edges. It was a bit, uh, uh, unpolished if you will. So it was, it was pulled. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I read this, What's interesting is there's a, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it, because I I work in treatment and there's this um, old popular psychologist back in the day that that wrote a pamphlet called King Baby, and uh, if you will, the way that it describes um, how we are the the center of the universe when we're born and all our needs are met. And with addicts, most of us, you know, never mature out of those things. So we remain the center of a vast, of, of, of our universe. And, and, uh, you know, that causes us a lot of problems growing up. And then it goes on to say that when we throw dope on top of that, it becomes even worse. It, uh, it is so similar to this, um, to this, to this IP. I just, I, I thought that was interesting. It's, it's something that I teach on quite a bit uh where i work and uh i use this this pamphlet as a follow-up to that uh but yeah i just yeah it's um it's it, it it's certainly interesting to think about you know this is this kind of dives into you know we always hear we're addicts long before we ever put the dope uh in Right. You know, and and this kind of shows us some examples of that and talking about not, you know, uh, going through that proper maturing phase like like many, uh, well, like most people do. You know, we people become more self-sufficient as they grow older. And, you know, we, we still like to depend on everything. You know, everybody contributes to us and that, that's the way we see it. So. Yeah, I just and I love how this this pamphlet starts. Well, you 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 just kind of touched on it, and it, it starts off like the beginning of a beautiful novel or a poem. It just says, "When we are born, we are conscious only of ourselves. We are the universe." <laughs> like you know, not not much of our literature. You know, some of our you know that just doesn't start off that eloquent. You know, no. it just it's it's just it really sets us up. 
it sets us up for a little journey here. And, and uh, you know, I, uh, I certainly, it certainly resonated with me from the beginning, from day one, you know, and, uh, you know. What a gift Greg had, though. You know, like he's, you know, just, uh, and, and a lot of this stuff, like you said, uh, I just based off the stories and things I've heard, I could, I could literally picture him writing this and, and it almost coming out on the sheet exactly as he wrote it the day that he wrote it, you know, exactly. You know, it's, exactly. it's incredible to think about that. And, uh, you know, I always think back to that story, the top writer story with him on the phone call and right and reading, you know, pretty much word for word, the way that we read the traditions in the basic text today is just, just such an incredible story. And to think about what a, what a God given talent he had and ability to be able to express, um, and also at the same time, not sound like a professional, you know, uh, very much relatable to the, to your everyday addict. You know, I, I think that's, uh, that says a lot about an individual to be able to do that. Exactly. And, uh, and you think about, it, you go back in time, this, this was when Greg had maybe 10 years clean, Yeah. you know, and, and narcotics anonymous at that time, 83, 84, 10, 12 years clean was, was, uh, ancient, you know, that was ancient, uh, just an old timer, you know? And so the level of maturity, uh, of his recovery as well in his personal, in his personal life was, uh, was fairly sophisticated for that amount of clean time. You know, I mean, I hate the pigeonhole, you know, we all have very varying degrees and varying sicknesses and clean times and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's not, not meant to stereotype anything, but but uh, it says a lot, and, and it says a lot. It said a lot to me um, when I first heard him share uh, at the World Convention in Chicago in '84. And, and uh, you know, he, he his story is in the basic text about coming to meetings wearing that black suit. And um, I remember hearing him share that from the podium, and I, I sat back and I was like wow, those are like real stories. This, these are like, these are real people, you know, it's not like some kind of reader's digest kind of thing, yeah. you know, this is like, he's a real guy, you know, but he's, I, and I, I must've heard Greg share at various conventions at least 12 or 13 times in person. Cause he, he just, he just seemed to be the banquet speaker or the spiritual speaker at every major function up and down the East coast and was very privileged to, 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 to be, to be witness or to be sitting in that audience, you know, seeing him at work with, with his stories and his humor and, and the way that he expressed things was, he was very talented, uh, carrying this message, you know, and, uh, I met him once. He gave me, he gave me a few little trinkets, a few little gifts that he had. And they were very memorable, very, very, uh, very loving, very loving man. And, uh, it just says a lot about, you know, we keep what we have by giving it away, giving and giving and giving and giving how much he, that he truly received, you know, uh, it's a very special person. Yeah. You know, all the stories I hear about him is, is a lot of them are very similar. They start off like I didn't have a lot of clean time and, and whether it's fair or not, Greg was always looked, you know, looked at as like. Yeah. people put him on a pedestal whether they, uh, we're not supposed to do that but it's just you know it's rightfully so is what happened so uh 
well, one story sticks out in particular. I, I actually have a sponsee who has uh, about five times the amount of years clean that I do. That's a whole nother story for another day. But he talks about his first interaction with Greg was at a, a, work, a place where he was speaking. And he's like, and I had like 80 days clean. And this, you know, this big time speaker comes down and he, he talks to me for an hour and a half and, you know, said he gave him some things and, you know, just, he, he never forgot that. And that's just, um, you know, that's just a testament to the kind of guy that he was and to share all that time with the newcomer. It's probably why he found himself in such a place to be able to share stories like this, because he never, you know, really forgot the basis of what our program's all about, which is, you know, centered towards that, helping that next person find their way. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, never served with him, you know, at the, at the conference or anywhere else, you know, no, no service experience, but you know, we're, we're describing a man, you know, uh, from what we see, you know, our, our interaction at a, at a convention or a workshop or whatever, but it's interesting. He may have been a totally different person <laughs> behind the scenes. May have. Knows, right. Like we, we Ma- don't many know. of we us are, <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm sure he so, had his flaws because we all do. Exactly. That's the point, yeah. right? That's the point. And he was, he was so big into anonymity too. Such a, he used to share on anonymity, uh, how it related to every tradition, you know, yeah. and, uh, in a, such a way that that just was remarkable. And, uh, so seeing him maybe cringe a little bit at that that pedestal uh, ness, putting him on that pedestal, seeing him cringe a little bit at that, yeah. you know, you kind of understand, you know, understand why. Yeah, it probably, yeah, I could imagine, I could imagine that uh, that aided him to be looked at in that that aspect. But nevertheless, uh, I would hate to, I would hate to know what the fellowship would look like without his little uh input on it anyway you know right you know. and so many other members too you know so many of our predecessors and you know even even like the work that you shared man just just that's what the that's what this is all about just you know participating and, and writing those drafts and sending them in and you know like it wasn't just him there's so many members that contributed so much uh, and, and what's, what's amazing to me is like, you talked about him having 10 years, but you know, you hear stories of the basic text. A lot of those guys were brand new, you know, two or three years clean, right. and, you know, wrote some of the most, uh, instrumental, uh, lines throughout the basic text and throughout all of our, you know, I even think about, um, you know, that he, and didn't he write something involved with the with the server the 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 NA tree or something like that? Yes, the fir- the first uh, service manual. Yes, yeah. he worked with Jimmy on that very closely, from what I understand. And and they and they uh, put together the first conference, the first World Service Conference in California. So yeah. very loose ends. There was very little happening, and and uh, it took some members like that, you know, like 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 who were you know, maybe had a little bit of education, weren't, weren't, uh, junkies coming in with needles hanging out of their arms, had a little bit, maybe, maybe a little bit different experience with addiction and recovery, you know, uh, to, to bring us to, to some new, some new experiences, you know, it takes all of us, man. I mean, it's really, it truly is a, it truly is a, we, uh, it truly is a, we, we effort. And a lot of those contributions that you, that you described and, and I was part of as well, 
were anonymous contributions. You know, yeah. I, you know, they weren't sent in with, uh, Hey, look at me right. or Hey, you know, credits, you know, or anything like that. It was anonymous effort, you know, uh, in a, in a, in a very large collaborative, uh, or well, maybe not large, but in a collaborative environment, you know, yeah. uh, which is very, very unique, very unique which, experience which makes it even that much better. <laughs> yeah. That, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And and I, I I'm because because we I, I was gonna say I would ahead. imagine uh if Greg could have had it that way, he would have just he would assume or, or or would just uh he would prefer that none of us knew that he wrote the triangle of self obsession, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Somebody busted yeah, him on that. Somebody busted. <laughs> somebody... Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. But, you know, and I know Greg and, and, and a lot of us, uh, most, you know, most of us involved in service are, are all advocates of the group conscience process, that it is a collaborative, it is a we, and, and the, the anonymity involved in that, and, and that, and that spirit or energy that occurs in that process, because it's a magical formula. It's like one plus one equals three, a third element a third element arises from it, you know, that's unpredictable, you know, that we can count on, that we could trust, you know, and that's what we call in the second tradition, a loving God expressing itself in our group conscience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if we really, really believe that, then, then there's a whole lot of trust there and a lot of love and a lot of faith, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm guessing that because of where you're located, you're familiar, uh, familiar, familiar with um, Chris and Boyd. Yes, yes. They, uh, we were actually, we had a, a trial, not going to say a trial, but uh, a service conference uh, about 10 years ago and invited them to do uh, the two history workshops uh, for us. They're part of our region. They live up near Raleigh, yeah. uh, not too far from here, maybe two hours. And uh, they were well, well received. We were one of the first ones for, uh, for them to do. <clears throat> uh, those, uh, those workshops. And we're, we're very proud to, to be part of that, that for, with them, yeah. you know, just some incredible uh, work we did. that they've done. Oh yes. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. And I'm sure they refine it as time goes on, you know, based on, you know, new information or uh, better information, whatever, less static, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Great, great resources to have locally. Yeah. Yeah. And I bring that up to mention this, uh, watching one of their presentations and is actually their presentation on the development of the basic text. And, you know, you brought up the point a minute ago about how important it is for the whole fellowship to collaborate on certain things and just the wherewithal, because there was such a, you know, it, I guess they were pressed for time on trying to get this basic text out. Like, you know, they felt like people were dying and, you know, there, there was such an emphasis on getting it out, but also having the wherewithal to, to slow down and to make sure that everybody had an opportunity to participate in it. I just, it, it just blows my mind to think about how they, uh, you know, how, how they were able to even think on those, in those terms. And at, at that point, you know, in their recovery and at, at that point in the, the, uh, development of the fellowship you know we were very young at that time and to just have the wherewithal to to think like that that hey we need to slow down and we need to make sure that everybody participates 
while also keeping in mind that you know the the quicker we get this out the better it's going to be for all of us right right and and again i i really believe it's a, a testament to that group conscience process it is and believing in that really putting your heart and putting heart and soul into that process and trusting it trusting the output you know um and you know it's actually in the basic text that line that the, the i think it's in the the historical part of the book uh, uh i don't think it's it might be one of the pre the prefaces that where it talks about uh that the the membership consistently sought to ensure a group conscience text you know and i i really i i i really believe group conscience far supersedes a vote in a meeting yeah like we we kind of boil it down to that and stereotype it to that but group conscience is our collective mind as a fellowship it includes our literature it includes our 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 fellowship it includes all of our meetings it includes it's like a hive sort of mindset you know what a vast and beautiful thing that looks like it really uh, is. you know it really is. yeah just a wide spectrum <clears throat> of experience and uh, knowledge and at all all levels and degrees of recovery and illness you know uh but yeah they they and you mentioned it earlier about vision they then they had that vision they had a vision to uh to bring this thing alive and did the best that they could yes you know yeah for us for people who weren't even here yet yeah you know thank god thank god uh so let, let's uh let's shift gears a little bit. Let's let's kind of get back into the to the IP for a second. I just want to talk about you personally. Uh, how has um looking at the way that this was put together, you know, in your personal life, dealing with resentment, anger, and fear, how has this uh, IP played a part in, in your own personal recovery? Right. Right. Well. Let me just first say that I am a master. I mean, I mean, black belt master at obsession, right? I, I am a very, this is how I think, this is how I operate and do things. I am an obsessive individual. Uh, and uh, so let me just get that out of the way first. Uh, so just the, the title, the title grabs me, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, uh, but what I've learned uh, about obsession uh, and being an addict is that this is how I'm wired. This is my chemistry. This is my biochemistry. I am an obsessive individual. Yeah. And what matters is what I point it toward, you know, because other words or related words for obsession are words like passion, you know, are words like, yeah. like determination, yeah. are words like tenacity. You know, so obsession it, it gets a bad rap and, and should, you know, it's, it's a debilitating thing when it's misdirected, you know, can be filled with uh, distraction, can be a black hole, a suck, an energy suck, you know, uh, but I really believe it can also propel us, you know, when, when pointed in the right direction. So my obsession pointed inwardly word self you know though having said all that can be very debilitating you know in the context of this pamphlet yeah. of self-centeredness you know when i am all consumed and i am all worried and ruminating and uh irritated with the world 
it usually is all about me because it's not going my way. It's a tantrum, you know, and my obsession pointed in that direction at self-willing my needs being met or self-willing my life. It's really just operating on the wrong energy, you know, yeah. even even the term self-sufficiency is limited because we're never self-sufficient. We're never going to be. The only thing I know that's self-sufficient is like a plant. And those are even, plants are even dependent on the sun yeah. and water for their survival. You know, like we're, we're interdependent. We still depend on one another, yeah. you know, but it's pointed in a different, it's pointed in a new direction, you know? So I've learned this over the years that self-sufficiency is limited. It only goes so far, you know, it only takes me so far. The rest is certainly supplemented with the help of a higher power. And part of that higher power works through Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. So I obviously lean on Narcotics Anonymous to supplement those invisible needs, you know, uh, of, uh, of energy and, and people, you know, people in my network where I may be weak, they may be very strong, you know, in, in that, in that respect, you know, and, uh, but it really propelled me to like the, the, this topic the way that it's written propelled me to seek the guidance and help of a higher power through the steps, you know, because the end of this uh, paragraph, the whole summary is all about restoration yeah. and the steps and maturing, growing uh, into a new consciousness, you know, a higher consciousness an awakening, if you will. Yeah. You know, when I, you know, when I think about, you know, being caught up in that resentment, anger, and fear, I just lose touch with all reality. And, and, you know, it's, a it's, it's a bad place to be. And like you said, it's, it's, uh, I, I've not, for me personally, I, uh, the uh, obsession in, in my life has not went away, but it, it it's most certainly got to do it's most certainly been uh, redirected into things that are more positive and, and that's benefited me. And, and look, I think we talked about some of these people that contributed to our fellowship. And I think a lot of that was probably a, a, a obsession. You know, they were, they, they became, a, right. they became obsessed with this, you know, with seeing this fellowship grow. And, and, you know, sometimes, Sometimes our, our passion turns to obsession within the fellowship and we disagree and we get resentful and angry and we have this fear much like when the pandemic happened. Like I, I experienced all three of those things. Uh, cause right. I didn't know what was going to happen, especially well, on, not necessarily NA as a whole, but I was worried about what was going to happen locally, you know, with NA and had fear and all that. And, you know, it, it you find yourself in a hopeless spot sometimes when resentment, anger, and fear is, is kind of taking over. And like, like both of us said, once, once we got to that point of acceptance, you know, and, and kind of redirected that obsession, I, I remember doing uh, zoom meetings. Like I chaired a zoom meeting for like 70 consecutive nights <laughs> during the pandemic because my, I finally accepted it and my obsession was shifted into a more positive <laughs> right. area. Yeah. <laughs> right. Into zoom. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, you know, into, you know, 
the thing, but here's the, what is the difference really when you think, when we think about this, what is that, that we we're talking about shifting it, right? Shifting it, shifting it to other, shifting it to power greater than self, shifting it to service, shifting it to, you know, uh, maturity to, to further development. You know, it, it's, it's really, uh, I think, a, a, a cornerstone is, is service. You know, Absolutely. now we could do, we could do it. We could do it with an, with an unawakened in an unawakened way, you know, very self-willed and, and, and still take that self-obsession into our service, you know, yeah. where it's gotta be my way and our tantrums and our, you know, our, our orbiting around us rather than us orbiting around NA, you know, uh, is, is really a difference maker. You know, what is that line that says in our book, in our basic text, it talks about, we, we learn to adapt our lives to the program. We don't adapt the program yeah. to our lives. We, we, we learn a new centeredness, yeah. you know, rather than that self-centeredness becomes an other centeredness, you know, it's one of the, that gives us the true, the true energy that we need. It's one of the 48 must, I think it says we must, yeah, we must fit our, we must fit our recovery into our lives. We cannot fit our life into our recovery or I, 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 I like it even more right now. Yeah. So that it's a must <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because must, you know, must is an interesting word, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, because for me, when I must, it's, it's beginning to flirt with surrender, right? Like I, I must, I, I, you know, I know it's, it's kind of in vogue right now and I, I may get some heat for saying this, but it's in vogue right now to say, I, I get to, I get to do this. I get to do that. And I understand that, that line of, I understand that, that way of thinking, right? That I get to do things. It's a gift, right? But there's things I must do. I must eat and drink water. I must sleep. These are, these are surrenders, right? It is. And, and to have that many surrenders in our book, I think speaks to that, you know? Yeah. To surrender. I, I don't, I don't even want to forget sometimes that, you know, I, I, I obviously get to do a lot of things and I'm grateful for them, but uh, there's some things I don't want to look at. Like I have a choice. Like I just, if I'm going to get better, I have to do these things. That's right. Like I have to do them. I, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. I know, agree. I don't, I don't. That's been my experience. Yeah, I don't want to just be sitting on the couch and going, well, I get to do these, but I also don't have to, if I don't know, I, I do these things because it's, it's still today. It's saving my ass too. Yeah. That's right. Like food and water, food. It's necessary. Yeah. yeah. Food and water. Necessary ingredients. Yeah. Uh, so on our phone conversation, do you remember what we talked about? You, you were, you were wanting to bring up, uh, something about, well, I think what we, we, uh, very briefly talked about it already was this concept of self-sufficiency. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but it's a, it's a minor, it's a minor point to what the, uh, pamphlet is really talking about, but it may, it may, it may, uh, it may be something I could touch on a little bit is, is what that has meant to me over the years, yeah. this idea of self-sufficiency, because I, I've really, uh, I, I've gone back and forth with it. You know, I've gone where I must be fully stand on my own two feet fully self-supporting, living off the grid, you know, I mean, whatever, the, that sort of mindset, you know. But, I, and I, but I've also leaned into this idea of interdependence with others, you know, because what 
you th if we think about this, and this is this might be really heady uh, psych uh, psychology or sociology or whatever, but you know, as and, and this is maybe my own little version of this pamphlet, but when we're born, we're born naked, we're born vulnerable. Our cries are shrieking cries that can attract predators. We are dependent on our tribe for our first 10, 15 years of our lives. We're dependent on our parents. We're dependent on our schools. We're dependent on our communities. We do gradually grow to become independent, you know, through work, through, uh, through school, whatever that may be. But let's face it, human beings need each other. We, we, we really are not like other wild creatures, you know, that can just be born and be running within a week from their predators. We're, we, build, we develop bonds, with very strong bonds with each other, with our parents, with our, our networks. And I've, I've grown to understand this as being the ultimate love. Yeah. It's, it's all about mutual acts of kindness, mutual acts of love, mutual acts of compassion, and interdependence. Human beings, we need each other. We're born alone. Well, we're not born alone, but we're, we're born naked, and, uh, and, and we're, we're cut from that cord. We are alone in a sense of we're cut from that cord, and we're going to die naked and alone as well. You know, We need each other. We need each other to be born into this world. We need each other to be buried. You know, it's just uh, to me, the idea of self-sufficiency is almost a myth. It's like an ideal. It's an ideal that's out there, you know, uh, that we could strive for, but we're never going to achieve. Like control, you know, or perfection as well. Yeah. <laughs> right? Both yeah. of those. <laughs> Both of those. Yeah. But it's just this idea <clears throat> of of uh, of, of uh, self-sufficiency is wonderful, and we do achieve are remarkable from where we were. Many of us come in here completely dependent on others and the system as adults, you know, whereas, you know, that would be a very immature preteen or, or younger sort of phase in life. You know, we, we cease maturing. We start using drugs and we, we're no longer maturing uh, psychologically or socially. We become, it becomes a setback, you know, and we learn to do those things now as adults. We're dating for the first time in our 20s and 30s, going out on our first dates. Some of us even older than that in recovery, dating for the first time. We're getting our first jobs or uh, getting our first, buying our first home or all those things that are moving us towards some self-sufficiency, you know. But we're always, always, always going to be interdependent on one another in some capacity, you know. So there's limits to it. Oh, I agree completely. And, and I like how, um, you know, the seventh tradition talks about self-sufficiency, but it takes all of us to be self-sufficient. <laughs> exactly. Like I, it's yes. Yeah. It specifically says our, <laughs> yeah, all of us together. Yeah. You're, you're correct. Yeah, it takes all of us. And sometimes even all of us struggle sometimes being sufficient. <laughs> Mm. absolutely yeah. abs that's the human race it's, it's the human race it's the human condition yeah that's it hey i don't want to do this thing alone you know i don't know I've, I've come to to really love people and i never thought i would say that but i just i, I love all that and all that entails the good and the bad you know i just i, I really 
I really just can't imagine uh, going back into isolation again and, and cutting myself off from all the love, man. Like you said, it's just, it's what it boils down to is love. Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. And, and you know, isn't that really what the triangle of self-obsession keeps us from? Yeah. It, and, it, and it keeps us isolated, keeps us insulated, keeps us disconnected, you know, and with keeping just embroiled in this vicious cycle, you know, the hamster wheel, you know, uh, the total opposite. I was, um, I was taught some things about resentment, anger, and fear in this, this IP. And, uh, uh, one of the things I was taught is, is a lot of times we can draw an individual character defect back to one of these, to one of these, uh, right. a lot of times resentment, anger, or fear. And if I can do that, uh, the good thing about it is he didn't just talk about the problem. He gave us a solution too, you know, uh, that's right. You know, and, you know, so I, I, I'm grateful for that. And, you know, that, that, those character defects, I kind of use those as weapons, as swords to keep you at a distance because I didn't want uh, people to get close to me for a number of reasons, you know, the way I grew up and different things like that. But man, it just, I didn't know what I was missing for so long. You know, and that anger today has been, uh, replaced with love, like it says in the pamphlet. And, you know, my heart's full today, uh, because of the love of this fellowship and a higher power and, you know, just people in general. Right. It supplements what we can't do for ourselves. You know, it, it's such a remarkable process. And, uh, I like that as well, that restoration of these defects, you know, to their proper, to their proper uh, place, you know, and I think they, they shift, they could be different things, you know, like I, for instance, uh, there's been times in my life when I've been very, very afraid and, and still had a tremendous amount of faith Yeah. at the same time, you know, at the same time and, and just through some act of courage went forward anyway you know, yeah. and, and with, with a, a feeling of trust. And so sometimes that, that opposite can be different. Sometimes that opposite can be courage or it could be hope or, and anger could just be honesty, you know, uh, in the face of a reality and here and now, you know, it could just be a, 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 so those restorations can branch out into other, into other, uh, spiritual principles, you know, but the point is they are spiritual principles, you know, at work, yeah. you know, uh, restoring us. And, and, you know, I don't know how you guys uh, in your in your sponsorship do the sixth step and seventh step. But but uh, for many, many years, uh, I was uh, basically it was shared with me to draw a list of the defects and then I'll draw a line down the middle. And then on the other side, list the opposites. And I think the step writing guide goes through that process a little bit, you know. And it's a very similar process to what we're talking about in this pamphlet, you know, the restoration uh, to sanity, you know, that's, that's, or a restoration, re you know, a restoration to reality. That's exactly what we do. And we try our best to, to, to draw each one of those defects back to one of those, if it's possible, resentment, anger, and fear, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's so funny when you said that about, you know, and that, obviously that's what the pamphlet talks about those three defects, you know? And uh, I used to take a lot of pride in 
you know, you know, searching and fearless and, you know, really going above and beyond to uncover every single shortcoming, you know, every single defect and come up with a list of like 57, you know, (laughs) but that, but to your point, you know, and the, and the literature talks about that. They all, all of them, it's like a tree, the trunks of the tree go back to that. those same three. Yeah. And the, tr- the, 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 the ultimate trunk of self-centeredness, you know, yeah. the spiritual root. That's it. That's it. Well, Rich, man, I've really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for coming on here. And, uh, you know, let's stay in touch, man. I, 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 I feel like I've added yet another person to my network. And, you know, I, I look forward to, to getting you know, know you more on down the line. Uh, so really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, you got my info and reach out anytime, brother. But it's been a pleasure to be here and uh, see you next time. All right. We will be back next week with another IP. I hope to see a lot of you at the uh, at the convention. Well, actually, if you're listening to this, we the convention will be over. So if you were there, I hope you enjoyed it. And for all of you around the world, we love you and thank you for joining us. We'll see you next thank time. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.